everybody. Hooray, hurrah, once again, the Greg Proops Film Club convenes, this time showing the 1968 classic by PDA starring Steve McQueen and Jacqueline Bissett, a bullet. Uh, thank you very much for coming out tonight. Uh, this is a live podcast that goes out uh, every week. You can get it for free on iTunes or on Proopcast.com. Um, if you wouldn't mind applauding here, that'll let everyone know that there is actually an audience here. Hooray. Thank you. Because this time we're not at the confines of the Cine family in the baseball hat district of Hollywood, uh, California, AA. We're at the uh, salubrious confines of Film Hoos One here on the Lothian Road in the uh, very posh theater district of uh, classical music extra district area, Nando's district of uh, Edinburgh during the uh, fabulous Edinburgh Frill, uh, Fringe Festival. This has nothing to do with it, which I'm very excited about, uh, nor does it have anything to do with the Edinburgh Film Festival, which is a very worthy endeavor uh, that used to take place concurrently uh, with the International Festival and the Fringe Festival. However, they found having all these people here at once made the Film Festival awkward for them, so they moved it. Um, to thank you, that was a joke. <laughs> There's people in the audience laughing uneasily. Greg, they did it for a reason. Um, <laughs> They moved it to June, so if you want to come to the International Film Festival here in Edinburgh, uh, in Scottish land, it's in June. Uh, the Fringe Festival is uh, in um, uh, August, and uh, the Fringe Festival is a conflation of uh, um, thousands and thousands of comedians and their egos traveling separately up here to meet uh, on stage each night, uh, much like this show. So it has the feel of a Fringe show. Uh, that means the raggedy unprofessionalism and devil-may-care attitude, and yet uh, the unbelievable import and uh, heart that a, a well-written one-man show would have if you were able to drink at the same time as you spoke. Um, uh, where the book is on sale tonight. I've written a book. Yes, that's right. Uh, it, take me, it took me, it take me, it take me three years uh, um, because uh, I wrote it uh, using my own blood and turpentine. And uh, it, it has a lot of films in it uh, that I like. Uh, Bullet actually isn't in this one, uh, but uh, I can recommend another one called um, Le Samurai by Jean-Pierre Melville, which is, uh, I think, from the year before this, starring Alain Delon. And that's a superb uh, French detective movie. This one uh, is a kind of an Anglo-American one that we're uh, spinning tonight here. In any case, I'll be out uh, in the bar after uh, the show, signing the book if you want to buy it. You were not required, of course, to buy the book to come in here tonight. However, in order to leave the building, and return to your homes uh, on this festive Sunday night, or whatever night it is. It's the fringe. I think people get foggy on what day it is. And why let uh, chronology tie us to the world? You know what I mean? Uh, it, you know what time it is? Now. And, um, uh, it, it, but I'll be out there afterward. If you want to chat, uh, I'll take a picture with you. Uh, I'll sign your book. Uh, I have little kittens, uh, bookmarks, and stickers. It's, uh, it's really something. It's an amazing experience going to the bar here at the film house after the show. Um, I don't know if the bar will still be open. This is Scotland, and uh, considerations like that are often left by the wayside. Uh, yes, you could serve extra alcohol and make more money, but you'd have to stay open and work another hour. So there's that weighing that in the balance thing that goes on here in Edinburgh at all times. That, of course, was a gentle jibe at your work ethic. Um, thank you for re reacting so gently to it. Uh, your laughter is like rain uh, here in Edinburgh. Sideways, surprising, and intermittent. Um, the, the weather here in Edinburgh, I, I, we got in yesterday uh, during what can only be described as the end of the world, and uh, it was sort of like the day Christ died, a little Golgotha feel to it, you know, that kind of dark-ass night, and then uh, we, we were having dinner uh, at a small uh, cave that we go to up on top of the Royal Mile near where all the plague bodies are buried, and uh, we, uh, I forget the name, of Chaffees or something, and uh, we're, we're, we're having dinner, and uh, we were trying to leave at that point, and uh, I thought this was a film podcast. Get your own fucking podcast, is my advice to you. This podcast is what it is right now. So we're having dinner, and uh, no one said anything, Greg. Why don't you just carry on with the story and hope laughter ensues? 
Um, it's all bursting in our hearts, that hope. So uh, we've, we've finished dinner, and uh, the manager comes over, and I, I was complaining, you know, I was like, uh, uh, my rabbit, you know, was underdone, and I, I thought the turnips were, uh, weren't sincere. Uh, yeah, I, I, thought, I thought the wine had an attitude at first. I didn't dig that and whatnot. And uh, then he goes, um, you can't leave. That was my Scottish accent. He said, you can I leave? And we were like, pourquoi pas? We, we've, paid our, we've settled our bill, our obligations here are done. I, I, uh, I was in the kitchen for a while washing. I did everything I could. And he's like, it's fucking boring outside. And then, you know, and the rain pour. And you look outside, and um, this is the difference between when it rains in Los Angeles, uh, if one drop of rain falls, um, all of a sudden, a reporter appears on television in Malibu next to the Barbara Streisand's compound wearing a Paddington Bear hat and a Southwester dressed like George Clooney just went overboard, right? Like, it's insane. And then they'll go, it's Stormwatch 2015. It'll be one drop of rain, and then a horse spins into a culvert and has to be choppered out live on TV. That's what we do. In Edinburgh, you watch dark rain matter with every manner of filth in it for the last 500 years pour down a 500-year-old street. That's the difference. I think there's mood here. A writer would write about how the rain looks pouring down an Edinburgh street. A good writer, not tonight. A good writer would <laughs> write, it, it oozed down like so much dark matter, uh, taking away uh, most of my memories with it, and uh, the promise of the evening that was to be besotted in drink and uh, behorled in amphetamines uh, as it rang out before me like a cat that was sliding down a hill and then another metaphor. Um, I gave up halfway through, but the point is this. <laughs> Uh, that's the difference. The other difference is when you go to a cinema in Los Angeles, there's candy and or, sweets. Uh, I'll translate everything. We're, we're, over the, we're over the puddle here. Uh, it's not so much translating for you guys. Uh, it's translating for people in America who make no effort whatsoever to learn the lingo of any other country they've ever heard of or visited. Um, I, Grant, if you went to Los Angeles and started talking to someone there and you were Scottish, they'd be like, what's it like being from Australia? And, <laughs> So uh, uh, they have candy and they have whatnot, uh, but rarely do they ever have um, a full bar, which they have here at the Film House, uh, which is a, a movie helper more than almost anything else. More than, more than Jeff Goldblum even, who I think is maybe one of the great movie helpers of all time. Uh, you could be watching an awful movie and all of a sudden he comes in and it's another movie. He's in another movie entirely, uh, which is what makes Jeff Goldblum good. The movie with the dinosaurs where they run around and Richard Attenborough goes, hey, come. Um, all of a sudden, Jeff Goldblum walks in and there's a Jewish rock star in the movie for no reason. It's just fantastic. Um, John, uh, 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 uh. are you going to say your lines? Probably not. Um, but next to that, alcohol is the greatest movie helper of all because alcohol makes Guy Ritchie movies funny and uh, alcohol uh, makes Mark Wahlberg movies interesting and full of acting. Uh, alcohol is kind of magic in that way. Um, in any case, you don't get it enough in L.A., and that's the thing that I decry in the United States and that I hail here in the Scottish homelands, is that you have not only a bar, but when we came in this morning, yes, we came by this morning to make sure that we were counting the seats and whatnot, there's a sign out in front that said breakfast, so you can get breakfast here and then start watching movies at 8 o'clock in the morning which is fantastic for any movie theater to serve breakfast and then start the movies right in. And one of the dishes that was advertised here, and I think this will give you another inkling uh, of, the, um, you know, of the differences between going, the cinematic experience around the world, one of the dishes advertised on the sign out in front of the film house for breakfast that you could bring your family to is buttery toast. And uh, I know what you're thinking. How did they pull that together? Um, 
we never make it at home. You know what I mean? It's crazy. Uh, I, if I, when, I, you know, when, when I go out, I go out for buttery toast. I'll turn to my wife, Jennifer, and I'll say, I'd like bread, I'd like it heated up to a point where the outside was crunchy, and then I'd like butter put on it. And she's like, im-fucking-possible. There's only one place to go for that, and it's the cinema. Uh, a lot of cinemas advertise buttery popcorn. The film house advertises buttery toast, and I think that's a fantastic uh, achievement here. Uh, and, and something that I always order at breakfast, because in Los Angeles, Toast does not come with butter on it because butter is a dairy product and therefore evil because dairy products make you gain weight. And if you gain weight in Los Angeles, then no one will sleep with you and you have to kill yourself. <laughs> Whereas in Scotland, if you're not dancing with cancer by 50, what fucking game are you playing, bitch? <laughs> in any case, Growing up, uh, I grew up in the peninsula uh, outside the Bay Area, and we would go to the pictures all the time, right? This is in the 60s and 70s, when you went to pictures every week, all the time. Sometimes pictures that were second run. My dad took me to see uh, this movie, and uh, Papillon with Steve McQueen, and I'm trying to think of the other one that I'm forgetting that's in the middle there somewhere. Um, uh, the Thomas Crown Affair, which I think is the year after this one, if I'm not mistaken, and a, a really stylish thriller. I don't know if you would call Bullet a stylish thriller. It's a, it's a stylish cop procedural. Uh, uh, then they had the existential thrillers in the 60s, like Point Blank and whatnot uh, by John Borman. And then, of course, um, as I say, uh, The Thomas Crown Affair, the remake of which uh, had Scotland's own Pierce Brosnan in it. And uh, it is a very sexy movie in a lot of ways. Uh, and a movie that alcohol isn't enough. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, barbiturates, uh, uh, really anything you can do to get through the second Thomas Crown Affair. The first one, my wife said was boring to me today. I disagree utterly. I'm very shallow. Um, I'm, I'm a petri dish shallow. And so for me, uh, I, I really love the Thomas Crown Affair because it's a movie about Faye Dunaway's skirts. Uh, it's a movie about coats and everything. And this movie doesn't miss out much on that. The one thing I think that you'll find, uh, this, th uh, the modern era that we live in, uh, stylish thrillers are a difficult card. People don't play it as well as they did anymore. No one knows how to do it because uh, um, uh, crudity and, and other things have taken over from witty dialogue and whatnot. Bullet's not a movie where the dialogue is particularly witty. Uh, but I, I once said about Charles Bronson, the, the late Charles Bronson, that his face was like a punch being thrown. Um, if you remember what Charles Bronson looked like and talked like, he'd go, I don't like you, you son of a bitch. Uh, but Steve McQueen's face isn't a, pay, uh, isn't a punch being thrown as much as it's like a pizza of discomfiture. It's like an, he's always receiving a vague insult that he's not going to react to right away, is how Pete, Steve McQueen, every look sometimes is like, like he'll just glance up at you, and you're not quite sure what's happening. Um, is he asleep? Is this movie going to get off the ground? Have you remembered where we are? Uh, and I think that's what makes him so compelling as an actor. He's dead sexy. And when he had the idea for this picture, and I mentioned it before in the podcast, he went to the producers and said, I've got an idea for a cop. And they were like, everybody makes cop movies. And he goes, yeah, this is a cop with a tweed jacket and patches on his elbows. <laughs> that outfit doesn't appear right away. You have to watch for it when it comes in. There's also little suede bootlets that he wears in the movie, uh, little Clarks, little brown Clarks. At one point, he's um, uh, naked in the tub wearing only a shoulder holster. Um, Jacqueline Bissett's hair uh, uh, was nominated for several awards. The Golden Yak, which is Turkey's highest honor and hair achievement. Um, it has a, a, it's very stylish in that regard, and I, I really dig it for that. Also, uh, a through line I've noticed in um, a lot of Steve McQueen movies, particularly the Thomas Crown Affair in this one, is that everyone wears um, hats and skinny ties and dresses uh, Reservoir Dog style with the little, uh, the sky hats, right? 
And, and no one, by the way, when those movies were made, was wearing that anymore. And that's what makes the movie so awesome. People had stopped dressing that way maybe three or four years before. Um, but it looks so bitchin' in movies uh, that it really carries the day a lot of the time. As soon as you put a bad guy in a tiny little hat, there's something evil that happens to his head. And Steve McQueen rarely wears hats. In The Sand Pebbles, he has to wear a sailor hat. And The Sand Pebbles is, I think, from about two years before this. He was inconceivably hot at this point. And what I was going to get at was this. Uh, I rem uh, growing up with him as a huge star and uh, being excited about every picture that Steve McQueen was in. And it wasn't so much that Steve McQueen, obviously he was action-packed and rock'em sock'em and The Great Escape, uh, which I don't think anyone in this room, uh, judging by uh, some of the people's age, uh, um, ever missed on Boxing Day. Um, <laughs> for the past, f well, I, they haven't shown in a while, have they? Or do they still show it? Yep, yep there they do. I interviewed James Garner once, uh, and he was uh, fabulous. And uh, I was, uh, we were, it was in Hollywood, and it was for a picture called The Yaya Sisterhood. Is that, was that the name of that picture? It had Maggie Smith and whatnot. It had a wonderful cast, Ellen Burstyn, and James Garner was in it. And uh, I said to him, uh, are you aware of how popular The Great Escape is in, in, in the UK? And he was like, Oh, yeah. He goes, I got off a plane once and was chased down the tarmac uh, right after the picture came out. And I was like, that is fucking exciting. Uh, and the crowd is vaguely interested. So we carry on. <laughs> this show goes on uh, no matter what your reaction is. And I think uh, that's something we all need to deal with. <laughs> I know I'm dealing with it. Uh, in any case, uh, uh, I, th I think... Uh, that, that, that was the, uh, the excitement of going to the pictures then. Was, um, it wasn't so much that uh, James Garner's flip, but he was really more of a TV star in the United States than a movie star. This picture is full of TV stars, including Robert Vaughn, who had just finished a wild stint on the Man From U.N.C.L.E. TV show in the United States and was enormously popular. But in the movies, almost always plays the same kind of character, like an insanely oily uh, corporate um, rag. And... He comes through quite well in this one. Uh, he's also in The Magnificent Seven with Steve McQueen, which is, I want 63 maybe? Uh, I can't remember what year that picture is. Uh, and he plays the Weasley gunfighter who's lost his nerve. And, and he's fantastic uh, in both roles. He's got that Fred McMurray quality of, I'm bound to let you down. And, uh, but it, not in The Man from Uncle where he had the quality of, um, I can barely be bothered to be here, but there's chicks at the end of this. <laughs> but Steve McQueen always had that pain quality. And I think what uh, he has that, um, it's difficult for uh, men of this era uh, that are named Brandon and, and Justin and Ryan to get together on screen is, uh, and Marky is uh, a sense of humor and uh, uh, an including of the audience in. Obviously, Sean Connery uh, might be the king of it. And I'm not just saying that because we're in Edinburgh, um, although it is a pretty much a fucking uh, grandstand play to even mention Sean Connery while you're in Scotland. Uh, <laughs> I've gotten free f iron bruise for saying it. Um, no, but um, my wife was at uh, the festival here years ago, the film festival, when they used to have it when people were in town. And uh, <laughs> Sean Connery was uh, for a showing of The Man Who Would Be King uh, with Michael Caine. And uh, they came, and uh, I, I, if I've told the story before, forgive me. They were vacuuming the lobby as the, sh the movie began, which uh, I think is why you are number one, Scotland. And two, yeah, and fuck the Labor Party, I agree with you. Uh, there is nothing there for you. Uh, they were vacuuming, and two, uh, uh, Sean Connery sat in the front row, and my wife sat a couple rows behind him, and said she watched the entire movie off of his head. <laughs> but Sean Connery, Michael Caine got up and went, ladies and gentlemen, the president of Scotland. And Sean Connery stood there for 10 minutes while there was an insane ovation of love, and the building filled with joy, and he went, yes. <laughs> it was nothing.
And uh, uh, I think that he has that flip, um, you know, sense of humor that makes him so beguiling. Uh, that quality that is so elusive where men want to hang around with you, women dig you for almost every reason. And, uh, and, and so you're all, an all-inclusive kind of star. I've talked about it before, like, at, at the same time period as this, of course, Charlton Heston was still going and was in a lot of great movies during this era, in fact, uh, including Planet of the Apes, uh, which is the same year and has nothing to do with this movie whatsoever other than it was made in the same year. But Charlton Heston has no sense of humor, and that's what distinguishes him from all other actors. Um, <laughs> the situation could even be hilarious, and he'd go, all right, <laughs> let's stop clowning. Whereas Steve McQueen can be in a dire situation and he'll just like droop one eyelid or like look around and everybody uh, gets it uh, big time. Here's the other thing about this picture that I think is that Peter Yates uh, directed a movie called Robbery uh, that, with Stanley Baker. And Steve McQueen saw Robbery and it has a car chase in it. So he got Peter Yates to direct this. Well, of course, this movie has the car chase of all car chases. A couple of years later, William Friedkin did this French Connection, which has a car chase that's even more elaborate uh, and even more over the top than this one. And that was followed by entire movies of car chases, uh, which the 70s were full of, like Gone in 60 Seconds and Cannonball Run and hundreds and hundreds of movies where literally the plot of the movie was there's a car and then here comes another car. And, <laughs> Uh, so it actually exploded into its own genre. Uh, to make a poor analogy, and this show is all about poor analogies, um, this is, uh, uh, to the French Connection, what um, 2001 is to Star Wars. Uh, 2001 was the arty uh, film where space was this overarching, unfathomable theme, and then Star Wars was the, the, the nutty uh, you know, 1930s serial where uh, um, uh, spaceships had dents in them and stuff like that, and people did jokes to each other, and computers went... <laughs> And that's the kind of groundwork I think the picture lays. I don't think they were doing it intentionally in so much as I think that Peter Yates was an excellent car driver himself and Steve McQueen uh, was enamored of the entire stunt driving crew. And it was pointed out to me by a friend, that uh, my friend Mac, that uh, Steve McQueen, uh, who drove a lot of the stunts in this movie, not all of them, but you'll see him in the car in a bunch of the uh, unbelievable driving stunts in it, uh, drove this way everywhere, um, to the supermarket, to the bank. There was no time. Steve McQueen wasn't in the movie Bullet, and that's the thing that makes him uh, king uh, of the movie stars, is that uh, he's always Steve McQueen at every moment. I'm sure if you met him on the street, he'd be high, he'd be wearing a Rolex, possibly a sweatshirt with a bitch and suede jacket over it, and some kind of bootlets and jeans that were too small, because he used to give the costumers jeans and say, wash these to death until they're too small to put on, and that's when Steve McQueen put his pants on. And... Uh, 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 I think he drove like a maniac every fucking place he went. I met a photographer once uh, who told me the very same thing, who had shot him during the, uh, this picture as well, and said that when he came and went from the set, he drove that fast. And that James Coburn, uh, who was in The Great Escape with him, uh, McQueen said to him, let's drive around one day while they were making the movie. And James Coburn was screaming, please stop, I'm going to die. And Steve McQueen was like, what? And you're like, you're James Coburn. You're supposed to just like go, yeah. You know, and then, no, it didn't happen. He almost bawled. Um, so I think that's what makes Steve McQueen uh, uh, super groovy and awesome in this. Uh, you'll want to be watching for, uh, I think we pointed out, Jacqueline Bissett's hair. Uh, the point of Jacqueline Bissett and Steve McQueen's relationship in this movie is that they're both very tiny and look awesome in clothes. I wouldn't look for a lot of depth in this uh, or a giant moralistic payoff. Uh, there is, however, one uh, theme that gets played that doesn't get played enough. Uh, and if, it, it, if you think I'm wrong, then, um, then I live in another world than you. And that's what the corporate guy is evil. Um, and uh, there's no chance of him ever being good. I'm not, not a spoiler alert, I'm just saying, as in life, uh, this is a tiny mirror, and it reflects that very uh, uh, 
that very notion. In any case, I'll see you guys after the picture. Uh, I'm very excited about this. Uh, the car chase is kind of into the movie a ways, um, but you'll be grooving on the theme music so hard, at that point you won't care anymore. Uh, Lalo Schifrin wrote the theme to uh, music to Mission Impossible, and so uh, there's little wood blocks going and flutes rolling through this whole uh, movie. Uh, if you want stylish soundtrack, this whole picture is about that. In any case, uh, I give it to you now. I don't know how to get it free on the internet. If you're listening at home, this is the time to queue it up. Uh, I'm hoping it's on YouTube. In any case, here it is. Peter Yates, 1968 classic, starring Steve McQueen and Jacqueline Bissett. I give you the movie Bullet, ladies and gentlemen. What a cracker, huh? Right on. And, he, and the rich guy drives away reading the Wall Street Journal. Uh, how about um, the, uh, the combination of the, the um, raincoat pull, uh, turtleneck brown shoes at the end? That is fucking rockin' good news. And also the sweater that he goes to the hospital in in the beginning when he eats the peanut butter sandwich on white bread with milk. He's got that bitching brown sweater that you don't see as brown until he walks outside. Um, not that I focus on the clothes in this movie at all, but... They are a vital part of this picture. Uh, there's more top coats and semi-top coats and little overcoats, and she wears a raincoat. By the way, it was way too warm in every scene for what they were wearing. Uh, I'm from San Francisco, and it, this is real San Francisco. It, it looks so cute and so cool. Um, now, of course, it's overrun by IT people and, uh, uh, and Googleoids and people wearing uh, Google glasses and whatnot. Uh, in any case, that picture is uh, really off the hook. Um, the, the chase scene holds up, I think, after all these years. And when I think about... Um, uh, the fact that there's a Fast and Furious franchise and that they got to, what is it, 7 or 15 or whatever, uh, and that hardly any of that is as adrenaline-inducing um, and vertiginous as when they scream down those hills in that scene. Also, the two frog-faced hitmen are beyond beyond, right? When they have the shot from below of the guy with the glasses and they smash into the side of the road and he just goes <laughs> like that, and you're like, that part is... <laughs> That part is too much. Also, the dedication of Frank Bullitt to shoot and kill everyone that he meets is uh, another thing that uh, I adore about this movie. He's willing to chase them around the world uh, and then drive them into a filling station and have them blow up. And then a shootout at, a, at an airport at the end and everyone quietly walks away. Um, if it was this day and age, you'd be cordoned off till the end of time. No one would ever be allowed to go to the airport again. And they'd be checking all of us uh, to make sure that we couldn't open doors on planes and jump out of them uh, and, and rubbing us down every which way from loose. Uh, that's what the groovy part of the 60s. Someone goes, move along, clear the area. And you hear in back go, I don't know who he was or what he did. And then, <laughs> uh, simpler times, eh? Uh, we, we have a, 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 someone to man the mic. If anyone wants to talk about this, uh, I didn't mention it at the beginning. I neglected to. But we generally kick the movie around for about five minutes, and then we'll go in the other room and uh, sign the books and have a drink and whatnot. Does anyone have anything to say? Or Yes, there's someone. Hooray. Thank you for stepping forward. I appreciate it. Uh, Jacqueline Bissett's hair when she was asleep at the end, by the way. Fantastic. Yes, sir. What's your name? My name's Bruce. Hi, Bruce. Hi. Um, I'm Greg. We've met. <laughs> um, in the car chase scene, was it just my imagination, or did the car at one stage seem to crash into the, the camera at one point? Certainly. It seems like it does, right? Yeah, because it, it comes out and it just like freezes, and then it moves on to another scene. Right. It's all in the editing in that scene. They are so far all over San Francisco. Um, they make right turns to, into places that are 10 miles away from each other. Uh, at one point, they're driving near the Golden Gate Bridge so that you can see that it's San Francisco, and it's behind them in the fog. And then when they turn, they're on the other side of San Francisco heading south, which is uh, stupid, only if you would know it. Um, 
I, I think they did. And also the cars were super extra reinforced uh, so that they could bounce over the hills madly, which is fantastic. Is his a Mustang? The other one's a Dodge Charger. Uh, and if you've ever seen the movie Vanishing Point, I believe that's a Challenger. And those are, those are just like off-the-line Detroit things that have been souped up. Um, you, can, you can hear dinosaurs being sucked out of the earth during those scenes of the acceleration. When they hit the gas in a couple of them, it's just like, wow. The, the carburetors are blasting. And I'm not a big car person. I don't know. Any, all, all I know is you get in the car and you go somewhere and then, you know, there's alcohol. Um, <laughs> I don't know for sure that uh, it hit one of the cameras, but it seems like it did. Peter Yates was a heedless dude uh, and, a, and a great director of action in that regard. His movies range from uh, awesome. He made um, The Dresser with uh, Albert Finney and uh, Tom Courtney, which is a character study. He made an inconceivably awful movie called Mother Jugs and Speed. The fact that a character's named Jugs in it ought to give you a good idea of how good it is. And uh, he also made The Deep with Jacqueline Bissett which uh, was a pretty hot stuff when I was in high school because she wore a wet t-shirt when she scuba dived in a, in a white t-shirt uh, throughout the whole movie, which I believe set fire to the wet t-shirt craze. So Peter Yates has a lot of crazes to answer for. Uh, and he, of course he went to RADA. I have no idea what the connection is there at all. <laughs> he's, he's Tony Scott without the cocaine. Um, Thank you, Bruce, for bringing that up. I wish I knew the answer to that, that he, if they did crash. It, it seems like he does in that one shot. It seems like, the, it, it, and, and I love when they crash into parked cars. And we were watching another movie the other day, my wife and I, uh, called um, What's Up Doc, if you've ever seen that, which is from 1973, 74. And they, they do a car chase in that movie kind of taking the mickey out of this one a little bit and they destroy parts of steps in san francisco that are still destroyed because they never pulled a permit for it in that movie i have no idea what they did in this one uh anybody else want to say anything about yes there's a there's a gentleman up there thank you for participating and thank you for coming out to this we're doing a, another show on friday and we're going to show mel brooks young frankenstein uh and that one's a riot yes sir what's your name my name's steve evening greg hi um, the car chase is excellent, but they passed the same green Volkswagen three times. It must be. Wasn't it great? Hell of, hell of a fast. That poor Volkswagen. They kept coming downhill, and there it was. And, and it was like, is it going to make a left turn, or is that the stuntman who just got going the slow-moving bug? It's awesome to see Volkswagens again, though, isn't it? Yeah, they still exist around here. They what? They still exist around here. Do they? Oh, you don't see them much in the States anymore. Only as a, uh, you know, a rolling museum and the people who drive them have to wear spiked helmets. Um, no, but in those days they were everywhere. Um, that, was the, that was the cheapest car you could buy. I think in 1968 a Volkswagen was probably like under $1,000 new. And they never, ever overheated. And in high school you could start them, uh, no matter how high you were, simply by everybody pushing it as hard as humanly possible. But where I lived in San Carlos, if you parked it downhill, even if everything was broken, knew you could jumpstart the fucker every time. <laughs> Which is what made Volkswagens awesome. Uh, I like that a, um, a policeman in San Francisco drives a souped-up Mustang and wears turtlenecks with brown shoes. Did you see the shoe that he kicked the gun away with at the end? Fucking sexy-ass brown shoe, that one. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, the same Volkswagen you see three times. Uh, you also, they also, as I say, go up and down the same hill about two or three times. And he lives on Taylor and Clay, doesn't he, right? Which is, uh, no, I would say that's not where. Um, Sam Spade lives on uh, Leavenworth and Taylor, is it? On the other side of the hill, near John's Grill. Just to orient you where all the detectives in San Francisco live. <laughs> and if you go to San Francisco, there's an alley called Burrett Alley. And on Burrett Alley, there's a plaque that says, on this spot, Bridget O'Shaughnessy was shot by 
I mean, Miles Archer was shot by Bridget O'Shaughnessy, which of course is from the Maltese Falcon, and it never happened. But in San Francisco, we act like it happened and put a plaque up to it. It's also spelled Burritt Alley, B-U-R-I-T-T. And inevitably, someone has painted O at the end of it, so it's Burrito Alley <laughs> to make extra humor. <laughs> Anybody else? And then we'll fuck off into this good night. Uh, like I say, Friday next is a Young Frankenstein at 8 o'clock, and we'll be doing the same thing here again uh, and jazz like that. Um, also, you can download this for free. Our last episode that we put up was, um, what was the last one? Do we remember? What was it? Oh, Pillow Talk, uh, another unbelievable action thriller with uh, <laughs> Rock Hudson and Doris Day. Um, when they get on the phone together, you really don't know when it's going to stop. It's breakneck, uh, pulse pounding, gut wrenching, uh, brows sweating, clenching, clenching adventure. Actually, if you haven't seen Pillow Talk in a long time, it's worth watching because it is bloody hilarious and it still stands up. Um, uh, this one, uh, I was really glad uh, uh, how pacey and stylish every single scene was. They talk about police procedurals, but in this scene, they don't tell you anything at the beginning of the movie. You're completely adrift, and then proceed to explain every single detail till the end of time, going through every operating room, every, every staircase they go through. It's a meticulous movie in that regard, which I think is hilarious. Uh, to start with uh, something so oblique, because they explain not at all who he is. And I still haven't figured out, and I've seen the movie a few times, how did Johnny get out of, never mind. Um, how does Johnny look exactly like Mr. Resnick? And then you see him shot, do you not? And then later on he pops out of the hotel in San Mateo, which by the way isn't in San Mateo, it's in Burlingame. Uh, in any case, thank you very much for coming out. Uh, I'll be uh, outside with the book in a minute and uh, we'll see you next week with uh, Young Frankenstein. Until then, I'll be at the podcast, I'll be doing my podcast over at the Gilded Balloon uh, every night, uh, the next three nights, and then I'll be at the book festival as well. Thank you very much for coming out and good night.